0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's guest is another former Marine, so you know I have a soft spot in my heart for them since I am one as well. He's also a firearms instructor for Paramount Tactical, and he shoots USPSA competition. So with that, if you would, join me in welcoming to the show... Tyler Houston. How you doing, Tyler?
1: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: Good. Well, you would have had applause there, but as I clicked the button, I also clicked mute. So the applause played silently. There you go. It's all right. It must be Monday.
1: Amen to that, yeah.
0: All right. Well, we're getting off on the right foot already because you're drinking coffee. I'm drinking coffee. I like it. Okay, so if you would, go, uh, Tyler, go ahead and take a moment and introduce yourself, and then we'll get into all the hard stuff.
1: Sure. Um, Tyler Houston. Uh, I started off as an uh, infantry Marine right out of high school. From there, I did two deployments to Iraq. After that, I, I went to law enforcement for a few years, the deputy sheriff in Frederick County, Virginia. Uh, after that, went to uh, Worldwide Protective Services with the Department of State. I was in Baghdad. Uh, for a few rotations doing that, uh, decided to come back stateside. Had some, uh, my second child was born. Wanted to get back stateside and uh, actually went into the uh, training side of uh, the Department of State's uh, DSS branch, uh, law enforcement branch. And I've uh, been doing that ever since. Been with them for about seven years, almost eight years now.
0: Okay. And who was that?
1: Uh, so the. Department of States uh, has their own law enforcement branch. They do the protection of embassies overseas and things like that, um, and uh, yeah, they do domestic um, inv- investigations for uh, visa fraud and, stuff and things like that. We handle uh, we handle their training for overseas protection, essentially.
0: Okay. All right. Oh wow, had no idea. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll get into more of that as we uh, as we go along. Um, but first, I've got to throw the really hard questions at you right up front. Okay. See if we can see if we can't make you pause and, <laughs> and stutter <laughs> with a few answers here with our icebreaker questions. All right. All right. Number 1, what's your favorite movie?
1: Ooh. Um my first instinct is to say Tombstone. Always a go-to for me.
0: Yep. Okay.
1: Uh or the- the Count of Monte Cristo, I'd also go with that one. Both of those are, are probably my favorites, now. Yeah.
0: Now, why The Count of... I understand Tombstone. Now, why The Count of Monte uh-huh. Cristo?
1: I don't know, man. I just really dig the storyline. I've read the book, too. And the movie doesn't follow the book quite so well. But, man, the movie's just it's just a really good storyline. just really have always enjoyed it. Okay.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> with that, now you've been on deployment with the Marines... Uh, when I was in, the only thing we had was VHS players, so we did a lot of reading. Uh, no. Things have changed since then. Uh, so, favorite book?
1: Favorite book? Um, I'm gonna have to go with *The Count of Monte Cristo*. It's a classic. Okay. Or uh, yep. *Atlas Shrugged*. Another good one. Um, man, yeah, those are my two favorites for sure. Okay.
0: Sure. Well, that, the good thing is you read, so that's a positive. Yeah, yeah.
1: There you go. I'm a big reader <laughs> we, for sure.
0: We have found, uh, or I found, doing this podcast that maybe fifty percent of people read anymore. So is that
1: right? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, Those it's numbers, pretty numbers, amazing are both-
0: They are. You're right. All right. Now, I don't know if you're into um, the superhero genre of stuff. I'm not really, but if you are, who's your favorite superhero? If not, you can tell me who your favorite historical figure is.:
1: Ooh, um or you can do okay, both. You got me care. on that one. <laughs> you got me on that one. Uh, yeah, I don't really I'm not big into the uh, superhero thing, but if i if I had to choose Iron Man, he's pretty cool. has the whole uh, suit, and he did his pretty cool. song. I always dig that. No special mixer, uh, special powers. Just, uh, just a dude who's really smart with lots of money. That always helps.
0: Yeah, it does. Allows him to do all the smart things. All right, your favorite gun and your favorite caliber, but they don't have to be intertwined. It could be two, two, three, a, and a Glock.
1: Favorite gun. Even though I've just recently switched to a CZP-10, probably my favorite gun is going to have to be the Glock 19 just because it's all around. It's a workhorse. It does pretty much everything you need it to do and, and nothing more. Uh, favorite caliber? Ooh. Hmm. I'll have to, man, it's a tough one between 5.56 and 9mm just because... Uh, I'm going to go with 9 mil, just because I can go subsonic with 9 mil. And it's just such a versatile round. Let's go with that.
0: All right. We're going with 9 mil. There's our answer. All right. So it sounds like you've done some traveling. Of all the places you've been, what's the favorite place you've been to yet?
1: Ooh. Or Um, or your favorite experience
0: in the Marine Corps. I don't care.
1: Uh, I'm going to have to say Dubai for travel. Uh, Anytime we would rotate into uh, Baghdad, we'd have to spend uh, at least a night in Dubai. And so I would be able to travel around and check out the sites and stuff like that. And I ended up, I got to uh, go to the top of the Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest skyscraper in the world. It's pretty amazing. It was pretty cool.
0: Holy cow. What's the view like up there?
1: Ah, oh, it's incredible. I mean, you can see for miles. You're affected by the haziness of the of the air, like the desert air, with the mm. sand and stuff. That's pretty much it.
0: So, like early morning, late evening, best time to go, then, huh?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Okay, that makes sense. All right. So, Tyler, you were saying in your introduction that right out of high school you went into the Marines. Did you did you grow up shooting guns?
1: uh sort of my father he's a um or was he's retired now he's he was a state police uh a Virginia state police officer a special agent and so he taught me when i was in my early teens how to shoot you know fundamentals of marksmanship and safety and things like that and then i got into hunting from there and i didn't really shoot a lot of pistol at that point actually i was mainly rifle you know your experience in the Marine Corps I'm sure was pretty similar was we didn't really mess with pistols hardly at all it was all your it was all your m16 i started off with an m16a2 and then we went to and got m16a4s and eventually we got m4a1 carbines uh but it was all rifle you know and i was a saw gunner there for a little bit but yeah it was mainly it was mainly all rifles and then it wasn't until i got to uh the police department that i or the sheriff's office That I realized my pistol skills were, were very lacking. Uh, I was being outshot. Now I thought, coming from the Marine Corps, that I was going to be a, a shoe in, and I was going to be able to, you know, (laughs) kind of like in my first experience in USPSA, I I was going to be able to knock it out. I was going to be really good. Uh, And it was very (laughs) hard to see some better marksmen than me, and I started training pistol quite a bit. Um. And from there, I, I went overseas and, and did the uh, worldwide protective services thing, and, and with the Department of State. And it wasn't until I got back that I started doing uh, USPSA. And it wasn't then until I realized, wow, what I th- I thought I was practicing ski- pistol enough, and it really wasn't the case at all. I was still woefully unprepared for for you know the competition world and for. Uh, you know, my skills were definitely still lacking and I thought they were much better than they were. It was a very humbling experience.
0: Yeah, I had the same, I had the same feeling. I still do every time I go out and shoot. <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right. Yeah, I still get off every time.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Now, did you, Um, I'm jumping a little bit of a head, but when you were in the Marines, did you qualify at all with a pistol?
1: No, no. Nope.
0: Okay. All right. So let's go back then. So your dad taught you how to, you know, the fundamentals kind of introduced you to shooting. Um, what made you decide in high school, I'm going to join the Marines.
1: I kind of always knew or thought I was going to go in the military and I, I didn't have a specific branch set, uh, at that point. Um, but you know, you always see the, uh, commercials of the Marine Corps and, um, it was actually reading the book, Marine Sniper, about Carlos Hathcock, that I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a Marine. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and reading, uh, you know, about the, uh, the Marines in Vietnam, that's what made me want to join the Marine Corps.
0: Okay. And did you go in specifically to be in the infantry? Because you said you were an infantry Marine.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I actually signed up. My first uh, request was infantry. Looking back now, it might have not been the uh, best decision, but I don't regret it at all.
0: Okay. Now, so when you went, what was your initial MOS?
1: 0311. Yep. 0300, you know, 03XX, and then I went to 0311 from there.
0: Okay. So you were legitimately an infantry Marine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I was initially as well. So... I went in awesome. I went in guaranteed infantry so I could test to I could take the uh, recon in dock and that's the way I went.
1: Mm, nice. So there we I'm go. I'm
0: right I'm right there with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had um uh, I had initially wanted to be a machine gunner and uh, I still wish I don't know. I'm okay with 0-311. I still got the, you know, mess with two forties. We carried two forties and saws and all you know, I still got to get all the machine gun time um but i wanted to be a machine gunner just because i thought the mark 19 and the 50 cal the the 40 millimeter grenade launcher and the 50 cal were awesome uh but O three eleven, 311 and then
0: yeah i'll be honest i'm waiting for the first marine when i asked them what you know what their favorite gun is for them to say mark 19 nobody has said it yet but i'm waiting (laughs) (laughs) that's That's a pretty awesome weapon yeah. yeah.
1: In the desert, it would like jam every ten rounds. That would be such a pain. Oh,
0: well, that's why nobody said it yet.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: All they can remember they're having flashbacks to clearing jams. That's right. <clears throat> All right, so we're um so you're on the East Coast and you probably went to Paris Island. That's right. Yeah. And then Lejeune for infantry yep. training from there. Where did you go from Lejeune?
1: Oh, people usually get a kick out of this. So, <laughs> from uh, Lejeune, I went immediately to MCBH Hawaii. I was at Kaneohe uh, Bay with third Wow, Lawrence.
0: I went direct yeah, to Okinawa. Good.
1: So, oh boy, how'd you like Okinawa? It,
0: I I loved it. I extended it a year, so I spent my first two years in the Marine Corps in Okinawa. How did you it, like Hawaii? It's
1: usually, uh, I loved it. It was fantastic. It's usually, I think, uh, usually what I hear from Okinawa is it's it's either loved it or you hated it. It's one or the other. is no in-between.
0: Well, I think the difference, too, is, you know, I wasn't with a regiment or a battalion rotating over. I was there for a year on orders, and then I extended for another year with 3rd Recon. So I was... Uh I awesome. was there, you know, I did a lot of stuff on the island and then we would deploy to different places from there. So it wasn't bad. It was good.
1: Yeah. Very awesome.
0: All right. Yeah, so Hawaii how long?
1: Great. There's some, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, no. I was going to ask you, how long were you in Hawaii? Let's talk Hawaii.
1: Oh, that was my whole enlistment. I only did four years uh, active duty, um, yeah, I mean, it had everything, uh, anything you could possibly want. I mean, it's Hawaii; it's it's gorgeous. Uh, I took it full advantage of, of of all the opportunities. I think that's the biggest thing is people can get um, kind of island fever. You know, you can drive around the whole thing in like two hours, uh, and it can get a little get a little claustrophobic. You know what I mean? Like, there's just not. Uh-huh don't find things to do you're going to get bored Right, so we were always trying to find something to do We'd go open ocean kayaking I went shark cage diving skydiving um, I didn't get scuba my scuba license that's my only real regret there is not doing that but everything else man we did it
0: same same thing And so your, your experience in Hawaii is almost the exact same as mine in Okinawa so awesome. we didn't have all of this stuff that you could do in Hawaii but the only thing that I regret was not getting my paddy diving license when I was there. You there you yeah. So I should have done that. All yeah. right. So you went to Iraq then from Hawaii? That's right. All right. So you, yeah, you had a, a couple bit
1: of a change environments.
0: Uh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Holy cow. All right, so you did two deployments there and then you decided to to get out. That's right. And what what was the cause of getting out?
1: So it's it's kind of petty looking back now, but, you know, being young and dumb at the time, I was attempting to re-enlist um, while on my second deployment. And uh, I was going to re-enlist through the MSGs, the uh, Marine Security Guards for o- embassies overseas. And uh, as I was trying to work through the process to... Uh, get their interviews and stuff like that for, for the MSG, um, uh, B billet at the time it was B billet. Now it's its own MOS. Um, they just couldn't connect the uh, in-service recruiter kept giving me wrong phone numbers and wrong times and things like that. And I got so frustrated. I was like, if, if, if this is what's going to, it's going to be like, I'm, I'm not even gonna bother anymore. And like looking back at, you know, making that decision changed my life, but you know I, I'm doing pretty good now. So I guess like, too much
0: things happen for a reason right that's right all right now when you got out did you have anything lined up or did you just come back to virginia and then say okay let's figure this out
1: yeah i I did not actually and um i feel like that's one thing that the uh the military could do better is kind of helping you know service members transition, we went through a one week, it's a five day course of uh, called taps. And it was a transition uh, from military to civilian life. And essentially for me, from my experience, it was, here's how to set up VA benefits. And that was really, it, it doesn't really prepare you for, you know, the drastic change in culture, the drastic change between civilian work life and, and military, between military work life. And and kind of how to repurpose and restage your life. And I think that's what a lot of veterans struggle with, is finding that that new mission in your life, that new purpose. I know I kind of just, I drifted for a little while. Like, I went to um, community college for a few years and just was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, I started applying for different law enforcement um, uh, agencies around the region and eventually was hired um, by uh Frederick County Sheriff's Office, yeah.
0: Okay. Now, Frederick County is that up northwest?
1: That's right. Uh if you're familiar right. with Winchester, Virginia?
0: Yep. All right, that's what I thought. I just want to make sure. Now, all right, so but you said you left there. Now, what made you leave the Sheriff's Department?
1: Um kind of ended on bad blood there. It was some, some differences in uh, I had some issues with my supervisor so I'll just leave it at that. And I, I just needed okay. to get out of that agency.
0: Okay. And then I believe you said, mm, no, I don't remember. Where did you go from, from there?
1: So from where uh, I got on with the um, worldwide protective services is what's called uh, it's the Department of State contract for uh, doing protection overseas, essentially, for diplomats, ambassadors, and things like that.
0: Now, did you, did so did you know somebody that helped you get, or to find out about it and get on, or was it just by happenstance?
1: Yeah, yeah a lot of my buddies um, actually went and did that. A lot of my buddies from the Marine Corps went and did it after they got out. And so I had lots of contacts that were already doing it and they you're like, Hey, here's a recruiter, here's the person to reach out to, uh, come on over. Actually when I got there, I was with uh three or four dudes that I was that were in my company from the Marine Corps.
0: Wow. It's like a reunion.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now,
0: how many times did you go overseas and how long did you do that?
1: So the way the rotations work, it's uh they do it. Kind of as the standard is a one hundred five, one hundred five day you're in country and uh, and thirty days back or thirty five days back stateside. So I did that. I don't know four five. I extended a couple times, so it's hard to say the five or six maybe. Uh, I extended a few times and stayed in country longer, but it's probably about two years of that rotation.
0: And how did you enjoy that?
1: Oh, it's awesome. It's it's awesome for sure. You're on the, so the Baghdad embassy compound is kind of its own. It's a very special circumstance. It's a massive, massive embassy compound and it has everything. I mean, it's a, it's got a chow hall, it's got a pool, it's got kind of a rec center, um, you know, big, uh, baseball field. It's, it's awesome there. And, and if you're not working, at, you know, your time's your own, you can do what you want. And there was always you know, big gym to go to. They always had, uh, you know, something to do.
0: Wow, sounds like a huge complex, actually.
1: Yeah, it's 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 definitely it's actually the biggest embassy in the world, uh, the U.S. embassy. Good lord. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
0: And then, so you, when what did you do when you left there?
1: So uh, I didn't even know. So originally the Department of State had their training complex up near uh, Winchester at Summit Point, West Virginia. And um, I didn't even know it existed honestly while I was doing this protection stuff. I came back stateside and did some training with um, uh, Paramount Tactical Solutions and uh, the owner is a was an instructor at the same location and was like hey man you should uh, you should apply here you know it's it's a great place to work so I applied there, had a bunch of recommendations from my the actual agents that were uh I was working with overseas, so that helped me um, you know, get my foot in the door. And uh it was only a few months later I was I was hired on.
0: And so that's what you've been doing ever since, huh?
1: And that's where I've been ever since, yeah. It's it's actually a great place to work. We we transferred down to uh central Virginia. I'm actually south of Richmond. Um uh kinda in it's near Blackstone, Virginia, if you're familiar. It's it's kind of a really small uh, small town. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought maybe you were still up there. <clears throat> no, no, we moved. Got transferred.
0: Okay. So do they have offices around the country, or is it just primarily right here close to D.C.?
1: Yeah, so our, we do strictly the training, and our training is our... Our branch is called Atlas Advanced Tactics Leaderships, and Skills Course. And so before the agents, the DSS agents, go overseas to a high threat post, which there's 33 of those, I think maybe 34 now, uh, throughout the world, they have to come to our course. And so we teach, I mean, a myriad of topics. We go through land navigation, room entry, small unit tactics, communications, um, I mean, you name Vehicle evacuations, you name it, we cover it. You know anything that the agent might need before they go overseas and uh, you know protect an ambassador.
0: All right, when you say land navigation, I mean, look, that that is a broad term. Okay? Yeah. Uh, what is it? Do you guys teach it for the area they're going to? Because look. Navigating in a desert is completely different than navigating yeah. in a jungle.
1: 100%. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, so principles, things of how to read a map and then how to plot points and, uh, you know, navigate to those points, essentially. I think Marine Corps land navigation, uh, simplified to an extent, uh, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what it is. P- plotting MGRS grids and, uh, you know, how to navigate to those grids and just teaching principles and fundamentals.
0: Okay, so that I assume then that if their technology fails, then they can revert back to some other means to find their way out of wherever they're at.
1: It's like uh, you know, break glass in case of emergency situation. There.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that inside that glass is here's your compass.
1: That's right. That's right. It's just a compass and a map.
0: Yeah, which most people I think nowadays probably have no clue. How those oh gosh, two work yes.
1: together. Yep. It's crazy to see. Uh, you know, a lot, of the, mm-hmm. a lot of the agents we get, I'd say probably 40% uh, come from a former law enforcement or military background. But most of them are just fresh out of college or maybe have some federal service of some kind before coming to us. And it's, you know, it's starting from scratch. You know, it's essentially like that private who's never touched a map before. Oof.
0: That's a lot of information, and you hope that they have the um, the ability. You know, not everybody has the ability to to look at it and understand what you're saying, okay. and and how to look at a map and see it in 3D. You know,
1: hundred percent. Yep.
0: So, man, I don't uh, I don't envy you there. I used to teach land nav, aerial photo interpretation, all kinds of stuff. So I I don't envy oh, you. Nice yeah
1: it's a a long time ago i'll I'll give you this that class is four hours just for the classroom portion and then we do a practical application out in the field and that's an all-day thing
0: oh okay well that's good
1: that's another that's another eight hours right there
0: yeah but that's good that they're you know they're getting out and putting their feet on the ground and actually applying it because that makes a big difference in comprehension and retention Yep. so it's when it clicks now, do you specialize in anything specific at Paramount Tactical where you're at
1: now? Um, so yeah, Paramount Tactical it's uh, I got on with them. I guess it was just last year, the year before. Um oh, okay. not particularly like I would consider my it's my side gig, right? Um I would consider them or myself rather to specialize in pistol that's what i love you know ever since i started shooting uspsa and started nerding out on it really hard uh that's just what i've really focused on um to, probably to the detriment of my my rifle shooting but uh but i, I love shooting pistol i love you know, i've read every single ben stoger book i'm uh in the middle of matthew uh, little graybeard actuals uh book right now anything anything on the topic i'm I'm reading it for sure
0: okay so paramount tactical is your side gig
1: that's right yeah
0: all right we'll come back to that then now how did you at what point did you find competition pistol shooting how did that occur
1: uh so like i said earlier um i came back um came back stateside and was like i told my wife I need some outlet right now. I was, I was not operational anymore. I wasn't running missions, you know, out in town. I wasn't overseas anymore. If I'm going to be doing stateside training and and doing that, like I need some outlet to do something exciting to do to better my skills and keep myself sharp. And so she rolled her eyes and I was like, okay. And uh, next thing you know, I'm taking my Glock 19 to a, It's actually a small club and, in the Winchester area called uh, North Mountain, I think it was. Yeah, North Mountain Shooting or something like that. And it doesn't exist anymore, but I shot my first USPSA match there and my first uh, Steel Challenge match there. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything, but I very quickly got humbled, obviously, and, uh, yeah, just dived dive into it really hard from there.
0: All right, so at the end of that match, that first USPSA match, what was going through your head?
1: I thought I was way better than I actually was. Like it was uh, like I said earlier, it was a humbling experience. Like, wow, I, I kind of suck at this. I need to find out how to get better.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's what I, I mean, that what I, same thing. First one, I was like, uh, that was horrible. And look, I had qualified five times as expert with the pistol in the Marines before I ever got out. So I was like, I can do this. Yeah, no, it's completely different. Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. It's like um, on the, you know, qualifications we had to do for whips and and everything, it was always got, you know, maybe missed one shot on the qualification. And it's, you know, what I keep hearing now, and I love the saying, is a qualifications, that ain't training, man. That's the bare minimum that's a bare legal minimum, right? It's not an actual yeah. test of your skills.
0: Yep. And that's and that's a good way to put it. So yeah. Now so you walk out of that humbled. You're like, oh, "Okay, I got to fix this." I who knows what your conversation was with your wife after that one. That's right. But uh now at at what point did you seriously then start getting in to training because of that?
1: So, yeah, after that, uh, I, st- I found, um, actually a buddy of mine, uh, Shannon Campbell, who I used to work with. He, um, pointed me in the right direction and started working with me about, you know, things I need to work on, you know, gear I needed, you know, I was running like a, you know, essentially a battle belt, um, the same run up, you know, running that I had in whips. And, uh, he kind of helped me with my kit Helped me, uh, you know, pointed me in the right direction of books and things like that. I dived in, started reading all the Ben Stover books. Um, and we just started shooting matches together. And he just, he taught me a lot. I mean, he, he worked with me quite a bit there.
0: Now, how long have you been shooting USPSA?
1: That was in 2017. So six years. Yeah, six years. COVID kind of hit. Uh, hit me hard. I didn't shoot probably the last two years uh, that much at all. So I'm just now, this year, I'm getting back into it heavy. Uh, and, yeah, so hopefully masterclass is in my future here soon.
0: Okay. Now, what? Um, how has your USPSA experience, how has that helped your day job and your side gig?
1: that is a good question um i mean really just i don't think you can really unless you're pushing your abilities and pushing what you're capable of to i don't think you can fairly teach other people how to how to operate and push themselves i think if if i explain that correctly so i i don't think it's i don't think it's possible for an instructor to to have full understanding unless they're pushing the training for themselves. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'd be easy with your background to teach tactics and and all that other stuff. But yeah, until you have a greater understanding of how you push yourself to get better, then you can't really teach someone else how to push themselves and get better.
1: That's right. And, you know, you got to have... I think it takes a lot of time... The grind, you know, of just reps to really fully appreciate what it takes to uh, just to understand these concepts of of different aiming schemes and vision and transitions and all the little things that go into your your grip and stance and all the little things that go into, uh, you know, making you a better shooter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of nuance to it. For sure. Yeah, I always thought of pistol shooting as. Oh, pull it out of the holster, point it—you know, aim aim down the little sighty things and hit what you're aiming at. But there, there's a lot more to it than that.
1: It's a lot more than that. That's right. Yeah,
0: I'm like, gosh, only you know, ten yards. It's just right there. It's not hard to hit. See? Yeah. Super easy. Yeah, exactly. Smoke
1: this, no problem.
0: Yeah, until you're under a clock and you're running around and yeah, and you're competing, then it's all. But I like how all of that, though, translates into defensive pistol uses and stuff like that.
1: Hundred so. percent. And this is what I tell you know my students all the time. I try to try to get it to driven in their heads. Is the reason why we practice so much of these skills is that that the shooting needs to be subconscious. The shooting itself should not take up hardly any cognitive bandwidth because we need to focus on, you know the the next steps, the tactics, essentially, about what what actions I need to take to prevent myself or my teammates from dying. You know, I shouldn't have to be focusing on my front sight or I shouldn't have to be focusing on how I'm going to reload this magazine and things like that. I should be able to just... That stuff should just happen uh, because I've trained it so much. Uh, and a lot of times, just people who don't have that back on that drive don't understand that.
0: All right, now it seems like you you've been reading a lot but what do you do dry fire live fire that type of thing to improve your skills
1: like i said just now i came back into it i um back into it heavier on the uspsa side i typically i'd like to say i dry fire every day but usually it ends up being like five times a week just i have three kids and, uh, you know, with the rigmarole and, and run around of life, uh, it usually ends up being like five days a week or something like that. Uh, and usually just up 10 to 15 minutes. I took a I took a Rob Bogle class a while ago. And he said, uh, I like the way he said, he's like, I touch my gun at least, even if I can't dry fire, I at least touch my gun. I pick it up, pull the trigger a few times. So I at least make sure I do that. Like, even if I don't dry fire that day, I'll pick up my gun. You know, I'll, I'll dry fire a little bit just to pull and things like that. Just tucking it in my hand, so I'm not forgetting what that feels like. Uh, but I'll try to live fire at least once every week, once every two weeks if possible.
0: How did you like his class?
1: It was great. I mean, he definitely uncovered something that was pretty early. That was five, four or five years ago, and it definitely uncovered covered a lot of uh, definitely seemingly now simple mistakes that I was making. Um, you know, that's what I say about taking outside training and things like that. It's, you're saving so much time and ammo by taking classes. It's just saving you so much time. I I don't think people really appreciate uh, You know, yes, the class can be expensive up front and ammunition and, and the course cost, but man, it's going to save you years. It's going to save you months or years or thousands of dollars in ammunition. Just take the class. It's so worth it.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Now, have you taken any other classes other than Bob's?
1: Yeah, I've taken um, Steve Anderson. Uh, that was definitely that was that was that was a favorite by far, and um, a few other ones for for work uh, that are not strictly okay. shooting. I've taken some with TC, Centrifuge um, and a, and a few other ones.
0: Now, how, how has, um, I I know we talked a little bit about teaching with like Paramount Tactical and USPSA stuff, but how has these classes helped you with your normal job? Has it, did it help you with your confidence? Has it, it, has it just helped you with teaching these individuals going overseas?
1: Yeah, that's hundred percent I think not only just adding to you know the the skills you're able to have and you know if you didn't know something now you know it um but gaining confidence just like you said in your own abilities it's kind of fat like checking to make sure you're doing the right things that's another one and, uh, you know, it's like um, essentially like proofing what you're doing, like, okay, I'm doing this effectively, but I'm not doing this effectively. So I need to, I need to work on this and tweak this training. And I take that, you know, in every aspect I can over to my, you know, my main job and to the parent, um, anything I can take and apply to those for sure. And it just, it'll make me a better instructor, have a better understanding of myself and how I apply getting better. So I can, you know, teach it to other people.
0: Okay. Now, how many times have you taken a class and watched how they teach, and then taking, um, I like I critique people that I take classes from, Mm. and their teaching style. Right. How many times have you gone in a class and adopted someone's something from someone's teaching style?
1: Uh, that, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, um, I've definitely done that for a few classes. I'll tell you one of my favorites, phenomenal instructor. He just makes, he makes everything. So, um, he takes the edge away, right? Everybody gets in there nervous. They're not sure how to act and, you know, uh, they don't want to mess up and all that. He just takes the edge off. He makes it so lighthearted and, and everyone has a good time, but everyone's learning as well. Uh, and then uh, with Centrifuge, we had uh, Will Petty, and he's a very charismatic instructor. I'll give him props. I you know he gets some controversial things, um, or tactics, but, man, he it was a great class. And a lot of these, his teaching style was, was very good, I found.
0: So how long does that put you now for total as in a teaching role?
1: About 10 years, probably. Okay. Ten years total.
0: Okay. So you've got quite a bit of time under your belt teaching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's, uh, I've been with, um, I've been with Department of State strictly teaching for seven to eight, probably about seven and a half years, if I remember correctly. And um, I definitely learned a lot, you know, just about how to get information across off. You know, just doing that just from the experience. I found that, you know, keeping along with that Steve's and uh, that style, I find that making the situation lighthearted and keeping things uh, as fun as you can when you're dealing with serious topics and tasks uh, really helps out.
0: I, I would agree. That and engaging with the audience for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> Now, what what is your goal? Are you, do you just use competition to help you with your day job? Or is competition something you see get it, yourself getting into more and more?
1: Um, at first, it was helping me with my day job, for sure. That's how I treated it. Um, and then I started really nerding out. It was probably 2018, 2019, when I was shooting Limited, uh, that I was... I really got heavy into it. I was shooting probably 14, 16 matches a year, uh, three or four, um, area, not area, but sectional, you know, level two and level three matches. Uh, and then COVID hit and kind of, and well, the move happened down to central Virginia, which disrupted things for a little while, you know, just dealing with the rigmaroles of, of moving and transitioning to a new workplace. Yeah. Um, so I'd say at that point, I kind of transitioned to competition being important in and of itself and me treating that as the, not the main effort, but I definitely took it more seriously and wanted to do well just to do well, not to just help out with my day job.
0: Okay. Do you have an ultimate goal with USPSA or competition shooting in general?
1: I want to get master class. That's uh, that's one thing. Get classified in and master and carry optics and if possible if I can switch back over to limited uh master and limited. Um and then just if I can just continuously improve, that's really all I care about is as long as I'm improving, you know, seeing consistent improvements, that's 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 a win.
0: Okay. Now you, you just recently shot what, the Del Marva?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it looks like
0: you shot in the mud.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was a little, uh, the adverse conditions I'll say.
0: Yeah. Uh, now what did you think of the match?
1: The set, the stages were awesome. Um, the setup was good. It, It definitely ran really well. Uh, I've seen some, some other level two matches that just weren't run as effectively, but this one went very smoothly. I think doing the zones, Um, the zone style of, of, of match setup definitely makes things a lot easier for the shooter for sure. Can't control the weather. I mean, that's going to be, you know, just a wild card.
0: Correct. And I mean, you shouldn't be, that shouldn't be too foreign for you.
1: Yeah. It's been a while though. You know, you kind of forget (laughs) how bad things suck.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you do. But at the same time, I look forward to it because I'm like, look, I know it's going to suck. And I'm hoping it gives me an edge out there because other people are going to be like, ah, this is terrible. I'm be like, ah, right, who cares?
1: Yeah, the, the issue was so that day, it was, I mean, you saw it. It was, it was abysmal. Uh, luckily, yes. our squad was, was awesome. I shot with a lot of great people. I shot with Josh Shaw uh, and Cardi uh, Cardenas, um, mm-hmm. and they, were, they were awesome. Uh, but the next day was gorgeous. I mean, it was sunny. It was like 75 degrees, so that didn't help out. But, you know, I'm not, I don't hold any hurt feelings. I did what I did. I, I placed how I placed. I learned a lot, so I'll take it.
0: Okay. What did you, give me something you learned.
1: Um, I learned surprisingly that uh, even though my hands are pruny and wet, I can still hold a consistent grip. It just, it might take me a little bit longer to get uh dot condition i'm definitely gonna have more towels on me if i expect uh, adverse uh, weather conditions i there were several instances where my dot just was completely i had about 800 dots i had my main dot with a starburst and then a bunch of other dots and that that hurt me on a couple stages for sure
0: okay so i take it then the the rain was getting on the inside where the dot was the emitter so it was creating yeah,
1: issues. I've never had that before, where the the uh, rain actually got to the emitter itself. It took it took a little bit to clean that out, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a first for me, and it was uh, definitely a learning experience.
0: Okay, yeah, I had that in in Florida one year. I wasn't prepared for that, so I, I know you're like I feel your pain. Yeah. <clears throat> now I understand they had a pretty long shot there like a 45 yard target.
1: Yeah, I think he was yeah, 45 or 50 yards. Someone said <clears throat> uh on target on stage So that was stage 10, yeah. Yeah, it was there were actually a few stages. I stage 5 as well was was some pretty far targets. That was probably around 35 uh 40 something yards for some of the uh some of the targets and then yeah, there was an extremely far one on that stage 10.
0: Okay. Now, at what distance do you normally zero your pistol?
1: Uh, originally, I had started off on shooting carry optics with a 25-yard uh, zero, and I switched this year, I think, actually, to a 15-yard zero. I just find that to be more practical, and it kind of covers my base a lot easier.
0: Yeah, and that's why I asked, because I I had just posted some stuff about A fifteen yard zero being that perfect sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's precarious. Yeah, I found anyway.
1: I I kinda tested it out. I just on my backyard range. I I had my twenty five yard zero and I just the you know, optical offset and the 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 differences wasn't great, especially when you're talking about mini poppers at distance and things like that. So and I started looking at a ten yard zero and I tested out a fifteen yard zero and I found that Mm fifteen is just I think it's the way to go. I really do. I, I've had good, good success with it.
0: Okay. So you're not having to hold anywhere on a target. You're just holding center of wherever you're aiming and, and let it rip, right?
1: Yeah, that 50-yard, uh, that I did hold, like, high one-third on the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, So think of the upper one-third of the A zone, essentially. But, you know, that's not a hard hold. That's, that's, that's pretty simple it wasn't anything outrageous right. and i got two alphas on that one
0: okay now were there any um any stages that you that you was your favorite
1: that one was definitely in my top, top three. stage 9 if i'm remembering the stages correctly stage 9 was another good one anything that changes up my favorite stages are definitely ones where there's a lot of a lot of variability in the ability to you know you can kind of choose your own adventure, you know, choose how you, whatever your shooting style is, you know, you can kind of cater to that. I like the ability to, for, you know, for different shooters to have different stage plans, depending on how you shoot. I think it makes it a lot more interesting.
0: Okay. And I assume there was a lot of variety that allowed that.
1: Yeah. There was, there was definitely a lot of different ways to shoot stages that I would say the first few, like the um, stages <clears throat> one through five, they were pretty standard. Like they, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, different ways where it made sense to shoot. But the uh, six to ten, there there was definitely some variability there.
0: Okay. Now, with you being just south of Richmond, where Delmarva was held, is pretty local to you. But where else yeah, do you yeah, shoot? Short drive.
1: Yeah. Um, I used to shoot Fredericksburg quite a bit. I have shot that so much recently uh grb uh cavalier that the richmond one where tomorrow was at. that's typically where i'll go I'll actually be going there this weekend um true north and North carolina sir walter that's pretty much it i'll hit sir walter true north and uh and richmond
0: with i guess sir walter being the farthest away for you yeah now do you have any plans to shoot any other majors this year
1: um, I was actually just talking to my wife about that. I'll shoot Area Eight for sure. I have to find it, but I'm, I want to. I'd like to shoot the Virginia State, obviously, but uh, I just have to figure out when it is and and sign up. I haven't even looked into it yet.
0: Yeah, I know it's the uh, first weekend there of October, so it's always the very beginning of October. But yeah. well, that's not too far from you.
1: No, no, not too from far.
0: Fredericksburg. So, what does your if you're preparing, now, did you do much preparation for Del Marva?
1: Yeah, I actually shot every day that week before um, just spinning myself back up because it had been, you know, the weather was still wet and cold up until that point, pretty well. As Del Marva showed us, it wasn't all the way over. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I shot every day that week. Uh, just in preparation, just getting my accuracy back down, just making sure since I, I again, I, I, like I said earlier, I switched the CZ P 10 just recently, just this year. And I've only shot and shot, shot two matches with it, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it was definitely a change. I'm still trying to get used to that gun. I'm, I'm still working on Burkett reloads and things like that. The reload, the change of the grip angle is definitely throwing me off a little bit. I was shooting a Glock before,
0: yeah, there's definitely a, a grip angle change there. I'm not a big fan of the Glock grip angle, but that's just me. Um, yeah,
1: I'm finding that the CZ is a lot better for uh, for that.
0: Okay, but after years of shooting a Glock, now you've got to adjust back.
1: <laughs> so. That's right. It's it's a struggle. <laughs> and my work gun, our work guns are Glocks too, so it's going back and okay. forth, it's having, its, having its problems.
0: Yeah. All right, so you you do Burkett reloads, okay. What other drills did you actually do prior to Del Marva?
1: Always, I always find that you know when you're, especially when you're dealing with a new gun, just getting your index down, just draw to one or two shots, is super important. Just getting that new index like as subconscious as possible. So I was focusing on that, you know, getting that new grip, that uh, establishing that new grip, and that new draw down. That's super important because it sets you up, for the, as you know, sets you up for the rest of the stage, you know what I mean? Uh, so I was working super hard on that, just getting my grip down, getting the, the feel of it. Um, and then I started working on um, uh, build drills at various distances, just feeling out, doing doubles at various distances. And that was really it, I mean, really working, just getting used to the gun as much as possible before Delmarva.
0: Now, is there much weight difference between the Glock 19 and your P10?
1: So I was shooting a Glock 34. Uh, oh, okay. But yeah, it's actually, uh, the P10 is actually heavier uh, by a few ounces. And I have a, a Surefire X300 on there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I wouldn't say extremely noticeable, but it's, you can definitely feel a difference between the two.
0: Do you like the added weight?
1: I do. I love it. Like I said, I came from limited. I was shooting uh, a twenty eleven in limited from uh, Lone Star, mm, okay. and uh, so I I like the weight. Yeah, it's it's I it's, like the stability that it provides.
0: Well, it's interesting. I um I just got the Canic Rival S here a couple of months ago, and in dry fire with transitions, I didn't know initially. I was like, hmm, I wonder what transitions are going to be like. With a gun that's, you know, like 40% heavier. And right. I was actually very surprised that it stops on target better than the poly gun does. I was very shocked.
1: Yeah, a lot of people, I think it's, it's easy to over-muscle transitions, you know what I mean? And then, you know, especially with a heavier gun, you end up, you know, doing it too much to where it's a detriment. You end up overshooting the target yeah i found that it's it's just you know if you just let it let's do its thing you know let your vision kind of drive the gun itself and it helps out for sure
0: yeah i was i was doing some wide transition work because i was like you know I'm, uh, that's what i wanted to see was like is this thing going to stop is it going to bounce what's it going to do and i was shocked when you know I, I drove my eyes over and when the gun came it literally just stopped right in the middle of the target i'm like uh that's weird i didn't expect that to happen so that's perfect i i definitely like the added weight you know when i first took the gun out of the the box i was like "Ooh, this thing's uh significantly heavier and you know when Mm -hmm. side by side playing with them i was like but man that added weight definitely definitely makes a difference
1: yeah for sure is it uh is this how long have you been shooting carry optics
0: I just got into USPSA in 2018, and that's all okay. I've shot. Awesome. But when awesome. I first started shooting it, I was like, you know, I was just doing dry fire and stuff, but I'd go out to shoot a match, and, oh, my God, man, trying to find that dot was like finding a needle in a haystack. So I would go to other guys, yeah. and I'm like, hey, uh, you seem to find your dot very quickly. How are how are you doing yeah. that? They're just like, man, just keep doing dry fire. So I did, I and, and that... Yeah, that ended up being it, but now with all of the you've said you've basically read all of Ben's books. Yeah. What what is your favorite take from his book? I have a bunch of his books too, so I like his stuff yeah. as well. But what's what's your favorite mm-hmm. takeaway so far from that?
1: Ooh, man, that's a hard one. Um Man, all right. You got me stumped <laughs> on this one. I would say, uh, you know, the vision focus and what your sights or dot should look like um, depending on the difficulty of the target. That's the biggest thing that's mm. I can take and the hardest thing to actually apply when you're shooting under pressure, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, it definitely, but that was an aha moment, like Oh, yeah, like I don't have to aim the same. I know it seems so simple now, but, you know, I need to treat these things differently and I don't need to, you know, have this perfect sight alignments, perfect sight picture, super steady dot on this target. I don't need to have that. I can have that streak of red and be okay. Like I know if, you know, if I have a consistent grip and good trigger press, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to get an alpha from that. That was probably the biggest thing.
0: He had a, um, I always found that when I would start my dry fire that I felt really slow and sluggish and it would take about four or five minutes to, to be at speed. And then I could really do everything normal. And I forget where I saw it, but I'm pretty sure it was in one of his books where now I do this drill where I put my timer. I clip it on my holster. I don't put my gun in there. I just clip it to my holster Press the button on a, a delayed start, and then I get in a hand, you know, a surrender position. And as soon as the beep goes off, I do about two minutes of warm up, where all I do is as quickly as I can bring my hand down and slap the timer, um, mm-hmm. trying to trying to beat that that sound. And I have found that within two minutes, like I am fully warmed up, ready to go, everything's solid. Uh, And I'm pretty sure I read that in in one of his – got that from one of his books. So that's one of the best things for me because now I'm not wasting – I felt like – I always felt like I was wasting the initial five minutes, like just being slow, always being behind. And now now I'm like ready to go the moment I put the gun in the holster.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think there's like – people don't give enough – it's kind of like working out. Like, we don't give enough time for warm ups as we probably should. You know, just like uh, warming up for the gym during a workout, like, you have to have that to be able to reach your full potential. You know, if you're going into it fully cold, and I, I'm guilty of this myself.
0: Yeah. Me if too. we're going
1: into a stage fully cold, no draws, no, you know, anything, like, it's setting us up for just being behind the curve. I found myself trying to recently, like, hey, I'll go into the safe area and I'll just go through a little dry fire routine, just some draws, a little transition between blades of grass or, you know, whatever, and um, even just physical physical warm-ups. I'll do some air squats, um, things like that, trying to do some grip exercises. I think it really helps out to make sure your body and, you know, your mind's warmed up fully before actually going out and shooting that stage it's definitely underrated it's definitely underrated doing warm ups it definitely needs to be done more
0: yeah for sure now you said you've taken a steve anderson class what about um mental management are you doing anything to (laughs) mentally prepare yourself better for shooting
1: yeah that's uh that's another thing i've been deep diving into um and That's another thing that I, I've I've definitely underprepared myself for. Uh, I find my I found myself last year just maybe it was a couple of years ago at Area Eight where I was so just mentally all over the map. Probably until the fourth stage of the day before I, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why? I'm here to have fun. I paid you know two hundred whatever dollars to be here. And I'm just miserable. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, I I forgot the whole point of why I was there. You know what I mean? Mm, and uh, okay. I, I was becoming so result focused, and not staying in the process, um, uh, and not staying process focused. It, it was just it was, and after that, you could see the results uh, from the match were just drastically different. And I think that uh, you know preparing ourselves and staying process focused and are preparing ourselves mentally, man, that's something that's huge. It really can't be understated. I've, I've started, I listened to a book uh, called the confident mind by I just had it pulled up actually. Cause I, I I was, I wanted to bring it up. It's by Dr. Nate Zinser, and it's called again, confident mind. It's such Mm a great, I highly recommend it to everybody. Um, it goes into how to build confidence, essentially, how to build... Uh, they, he calls it a, a confidence bank. So essentially, through all your dry fire, through all your live fire practice, you're preparing a savings account of confidence that you can draw upon when it comes down time to actually perform. And man, that's been such a huge help. I, I've, I've started journaling, uh, doing dry fire and live fire journaling from that and just man it's been such it's a great uh mental uh mental management book.
0: Okay. I'm seeing it here now. Um yeah, he's coached world-class athletes including a Super Bowl was, MVP.
1: That's right. He was the um sports psychologist for West Point. Uh a great read. I highly recommend it for sure.
0: Wow. Okay. Oh, he's an old guy now. He's got a gray beard. Well, <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> that means he's wise. <laughs> All right, right, that's pretty cool. Oh, Eli Manning uh, has a quote on the front cover. Okay. So it's the confident mind, a battle-tested guide to unshakable performance. And it mm-hmm. looks like it was. It's fairly recent. It looks like um, January twenty fifth, twenty twenty two is. That yeah. was uh, when it came out. Nate, Dr. Nate Zinser. All right. Cool. Man, check that out.
1: Yeah, for I sure. Got, I got to
0: stop asking <laughs> book questions on this podcast. got way too many books to have to read.
1: <laughs> it's a rabbit hole, man. I'm telling you. There's oh, so many my gosh.
0: I know. It really is. There's so much about it. And it is. That's one of the things that fascinates me with. You know, the Nils, the Max's, the JJ's, the Christian Seiler, the fact that they can, you know, they, they have competed to the point where they're able to stay focused on the competition and stay mm-hmm. in that moment and perform consistently. I think that's, that's right. one of the, you know, once you get up to, to that GM level, I mean, that's what separates them from each other.
1: because they can all shoot yeah Yeah.
0: they can all shoot they all have the ability but you know that doesn't mean mentally you're able to stay in the game and and win that's right so Tyler that's what I had is there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about or bring up or throw out a
1: I mean shout uh, out I I always try to recommend you know I know your audience is probably mostly uh, already shooting competition but if you're not shooting competition, please shoot competition. It's, it's the best way to get better. I recommend it to everybody. I try to recommend it to, to anybody I come across and that's involved in shooting. It's, it's such a great way to get better.
0: Okay. so I, Well, then I, I'll ask you another question about that. So <laughs> right. for the people who are listening to this on audio and don't watch it on YouTube, I do have a picture of you above yourself um, in a vehicle shooting your pistol so for those people who maybe listen to this that don't compete a whole lot maybe they just think self-defense or vice versa tell us how competition shooting helps with carrying a weapon every
1: day yeah absolutely so i mean not only testing your your ability to perform and and shoot accurately at speed under pressure um but again, the ability to build subconscious uh make those all those skills subconscious to where you're opening up and freeing up that 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 cognitive bandwidth that that thinking process to other things you have to be able to think um about what next steps you're going to take and be taking or what steps need to be taken now and if you're having to think about your shooting, you're not able to think about that stuff you're not able to think about you know. If you're about to you know, protect your home from an intruder and you're you know, hearing noises and things like that and you're having to think about how do I activate my light and how do I load my gun you know, when it's dark in the middle of the night and that, that stuff isn't subconscious, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And you do not want to put yourself at a disadvantage when your life is on the line. So you got to make that stuff subconscious.
0: Well, Tyler, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a good conversation. We'll have to do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Ah, my pleasure.
1: Until next time.
0: Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.